<laughs> okay, one more time. All right. I'm April Margulies. And I'm Christopher Tompkins. And you're on the line with the Hype Busters. Welcome. Ready for some real talk on strategic communication? You're in the right place. ready for our breaking news absolutely let's dive in all right so this week we're talking about sort of an overarching pr related issue for a bunch of social media moments slash decisions so you have youtube's anti-vax ban and then you have facebook's whistleblower revealing this stuff on 60 minutes yep and then you have google's stance on climate mm. It's sort of an interesting look at how social media companies are making decisions that have PR implications, right? Or potential crisis communications issues. So I think my concern for these companies making these decisions, either decisions that are not, like in Facebook's case, they're making decisions that are not taking into account the greater good of all, right? They're not considering that at all. They're just making Mm -hmm. business decisions. We need everyone to have higher engagement. So we don't care if we fractionalize the entire US, rip it in half and have half of the country secede. We were successful at Facebook, right? So it's like, <laughs> like that's, that's a kind of gross business practice that is totally, it's not going to be sustainable, right? And it's not going to no. be sustainable for all kinds of reasons. But also, I think as consumers, we have to make hard decisions about whether we actually want to participate in said company's offerings, given that it is doing something that we don't support, right? So there's something really disturbing about a social media platform eliminating content based on them being the judge of what's right or wrong or what's accurate or inaccurate. I think it sets a very dangerous precedent for the US that we don't want to uphold even if you happen to agree with the content they are currently taking down, what happens when that switches sides and suddenly somebody takes over with a different political leaning at the head of YouTube Mm -hmm. and suddenly your content, that's everything related to women's rights, LGBTQ rights, anything else, right? Anything like suddenly, oh, that's inaccurate and it gets pulled down. So I think it does pose an interesting socio-political issue, but also on the PR side, what kind of PR implications is this going to have both for YouTube in the long run, right? And for any other companies that have a message to get across that gets squashed because the phrasing is wrong, the idea is wrong. The Mm -hmm. image is wrong, right? I mean, and you already have this issue, right? Where you can barely Mm -hmm. advertise on Facebook because of all the restrictions, right? Yeah, it's not just Facebook. It's also YouTube. It's also Google. And it is based on what the AI is detecting in sentiment, which one of the things that I read a really fantastic article and I wish I could find it, but I'm too lazy. It was, um, his name's Rohit and he worked, used to work at Ogilvy. I met him years ago. He's very, very smart, very ballsy. And one of the things he said was that a lot of this is the fault of the marketers. And I, and I was reading it and I thought it was really, really interesting because I will find myself having to change for advertising purposes. When we're changing dollars and hands with these social sites, we have to play by their rules and their rules just wash out a lot of the sentiment of the message that we're trying to put forward. So for example, if I'm looking at an assisted living facility and I'm trying to talk about something as delicate as memory care, I have to say it in such a way that it is so washed out. I can't emotionally appeal to somebody because then it looks like I'm trying to push my emotions onto those individuals, Mm -hmm. which is not how it works. Actually, that's exactly how advertising works. That's how advertising has worked for our entire lives. It's been pushing the ideas through sponsored money to increase your voice. Now, I agree with you. I'm, I'm concerned because I'm on these sites trying to water down messages of my clients that are based on equal pay, that are based on equality, that are based on inclusion. 
that are based on just things that are just normal things that human beings should be interested in. Right. <clears throat> and I have to kind of whitewash them so much, so to speak. It doesn't even, you, can, you don't even know what you're looking at at the end of it. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what the message is anymore. Right. Is it our fault for playing with them and continuing to support it and continuing to offer services to clients to connect them? Yeah. I was thinking to myself, like, because I've been bad-mouthing Facebook for ages because I don't like them. But I say that, does 90% of my clients have a Facebook campaign? It's because they need to be where the conversation is happening. I don't like how this is going because I agree with you. If we're looking at it from my good old conspiracy theorist way, what is the best way to get people to overlook something? You focus on taking things that everyone deems as bad and remove them. And then you set a precedent that you can remove an idea and everyone was fine with it. But yeah. what if the idea changes? What if it's the negative ideas are the only ones that come through and not the positive ones? It's basically the AI is starting to prove how we should be feeling, not actually us through communication. So does that right. make sense? You know, Abs No, absolutely. And I feel like a free society is dependent on freedom of the press, freedom of speech. And if you're not having either of those things actually available, because social media is, for better or worse, the main way that people are expressing freedom of speech, mm -hmm. if you start removing that, we're not in a free society anymore. It doesn't even make sense to me why they would do that from a capitalist standpoint, because if suddenly any monetized content that pushes climate denialism, right? Yeah. Then mm -hmm. what if what if that encompasses a scientific report from an academic university that did a 10-year study and determined something about climate change that isn't pro-climate change that then AI somehow filters out and it's no longer available. If we aren't allowed to have any new information that challenges existing beliefs and structures and, and ways of knowing things, how do we grow as a society? Something else is like around the whole Facebook whistleblower. And also Facebook being a money-hungry business model. Just look at this, okay? I've had clients in the past where they were spending twenty-five dollars to $45,000 in Facebook ads a month, and all of their ads were being denied. And when you went to Facebook, they're like, oh, oh well, mm, no support available. Mm. That to me doesn't sound like someone who's very money hungry. So is it power hungry or what is it instead? It's control. And there's I think. more value in that than the money itself. I agree. I think so. When I'm looking at these stories, I, I'm in it in the back end of it. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, this is gross. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. But what and do we do? I mean, it comes exactly. back to that question you asked. I mean, I've slowly been kind of trying to exit the advertising, the paid portion of social media, because I don't, I don't like doing that. I mean, some of my clients are pushed into special ads categories on uh, Facebook and every single person in that special ads category is negative and is a hater and is a troll. That's the only category my client would have. Hmm. What is special ads division? Basically, there's a lot of things on Facebook where there's rules and regulations on what you can advertise and what category you can advertise it in. With anything that's dealing with equality, inclusion, HR, housing, you have, there has to be like special ad categories that you have to choose. So we have to create this other special category that has certain elements of the right kind of people, but it's like people that were grown in a lab. They're like not the target audience at all. Maybe they bought a magazine that was on the list like 10 years ago, but they're trolls and it's hardcore trolls. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to the question. What can we do? Um, I, I think spending less money on social is is one no. of the things. The conversations, people are getting savvier. People are getting more communicative. There's, I think there's hope in the way that people are utilizing the platforms. Because I still think, believe that there's benefit in it for clients. Mm -hmm. For sure. What about advertising on alternative social platforms? Is that an option or not quite yet? Well, Reddit's trying them out. I don't know how that's going to go. I, I mean, LinkedIn is expensive. Twitter is okay. Instagram's fine. It's, it really is the spend. I mean, for dollars for donuts, TikTok all day long.
um, you can get a lot out of TikTok campaign. So that's great until TikTok decides to censor all of its content as well. <laughs> well, no. Well, the thing is that to understand how the swell happens, right? When something new is happening, like obviously understand if it's going to be like TikTok or Clubhouse, like hit, hit your like cart to the right horse, right? If you're doing, if you get on TikTok on the ground floor, you're a winner. You're a winner, baby. And you're going to be winning for a little while. And then suddenly you're not going to win anymore. Mm -hmm. And then that's when you look for the next one. And you follow the people and where they're going to go. And then you jump on and hopefully you can make a lot of money really quickly before that evolves into something else. And that's kind of how it's going to, you know, always goes. All right. So I think that we have um, broke those news stories down <laughs> to the ground. Chris, are you ready for this week's interview? Oh my God. Who do we have? <laughs> Our guest this week is Hamish Anderson. He is Trust Relations Executive VP and Marketing Group Director, and he is here to chat with us about integrated marketing communications. Welcome, Hamish. How you doing? Good, thanks, Chris. How are you? I'm alive. I'm alive, uh, which is all you can hope for in this wonderful agency climate at the moment. Uh... Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> it's a moving feast, I've decided. <sighs> A moving feast. Yeah, just when you think something looks good and you go to grab it, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> On the back of rats. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's pretty weird. It's pretty weird. But it's also a time, obviously, where I feel like we need to band together more than ever from the different functions, right? And find ways of, of synergizing and I even had, you know, somebody this morning that I was going to be helping on the PR side and then the client that she was pitching ends up not wanting content marketing. So suddenly it's back in the PR court. So I think there's a lot of sort of ball bouncing happening right now because people aren't able to do all of it at once. But I think the thing I've been trying to remind prospects and clients is that can't really lean on one function all by itself either. So you need to figure out how to get lean and mean with finding integrated solutions that aren't going to break the bank, but also aren't going to have a one-legged stool that you're trying to sit on. <laughs> yeah, pogo stick. Unless you, like, unless you like that kind of thing. I mean, uh, <laughs> I like being a little bit off balance at times. So, I mean, hey, you know, good for your core. Yeah, very good. No, I totally agree with you. I think that that's the key. I think there's cycles and flows in the economy and uh, with marketing, it's, it all comes back in-house and it all goes back out and then it goes to a specialist. And I think we're at a, a nexus now where people are realizing that potential with all the new technologies and the new platforms that you can integrate and you can actually be a lot more targeted with what you're doing and you can see what you're doing and measure it. And I think that it's given rise to a huge opportunity for you know people to start integrating a lot more of what they do and get much better returns. And I think that it's not a new concept, you know, omni-channel marketing has been around for a long time. And, you know, I think in many ways that's been a term that scared a lot of people and a lot of people thought, oh, I've got to have big budgets for this. But it's got to a point now where it doesn't have to be a big scary beast and we can bring it back and really just start picking the right lanes for people. And once we do that, getting some really good and exciting campaigns out there that you know, start to achieve what people want, which is growth in their business. Mm -hmm. What do you see as some of the best ways to do that kind of approach to integration where the metrics start to marry and provide synergy to each other? It's a good question because I don't think there's any one answer. I think that it's more about setting a solid strategy to start. I always use an analogy that, you know, you can want to have the best house on the block, but if you don't have the right foundations, then the house is going to fall over. It's about understanding from the, the get-go what you're looking to achieve, what your capacity is to actually achieve that. You, know, you might say, I want to bring on 10,000 new leads a week, but if you don't have the ability to service that, then that's a waste of time and it doesn't matter how good that campaign is. So look at you know, a few things, the core vitals at the beginning. What are you looking to achieve? What can you actually service and what's your budget? And from there, then start making some determinations to, okay, well, this is what is open to us and this is what we can actively support uh, and then look at, okay, that might mean we need to have a strong digital presence. We're going to support that with 
PR and we're going to integrate some search findings around that uh, so that when we go out, our byline articles are written with long tail terms included in there so that they're going to be there for perpetuity. And later on, what we're going to do once we start seeing some traction is integrate social. And these will be the two channels or three channels that we are going to include there that supports the core messaging. And that's, I think, the key as well, making sure that everything you go out there and you say is integrated. You're not saying one thing on one platform, another thing on this platform. Yeah, for sure. No, and I know with PR, I mean, it's one of those things where, okay, you got the media hit, that shouldn't be the end of it, right? You should then make sure that you're posting that on your social channels, which is something mm-hmm. that Chris's team does, right? You should make sure that if there's a way to leverage it on the paid social side, you should be doing that and coming mm-hmm. up with a strategy to make sure that you're then repurposing those placements to target your audience exclusively instead of everyone that reads that publication. And then you also want to make sure that if we lead people to your website through the PR side of things, make sure that the website doesn't have any holes so that that drives conversions as well, right? So you don't want to have a website that is difficult to navigate and they don't know what their call to action is. And and then suddenly, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, you got the New York Times, but what did it do? And even email marketing, which is something Chris's team does as well, right? Is something Uh that you want to have those media placements feed into because it adds to the credibility of everything you're writing. So if you can remove friction for your consumers, you've got a lot more chance that they're going to actually convert. If it's hard for them, if you make it difficult, it doesn't matter what's brought them to that point of conversion. If it's too hard at that point of conversion, you're going to lose them. You know, If you're walking past the shop front and you see a great pair of shoes, jeans, whatever it might be in the window, and you walk in and you ask the assistant, where can I find these? And they just say, oh, they're out the back. Go find them yourself. You're going to go, <laughs> oh, this is way too hard. You're going to leave. So you're absolutely right. Everything's got to work in tandem and you know i think there's the opportunity with a lot of these technologies now that you can be a bit more pinpoint and you can do some testing of those and leverage those insights into other platforms so if you know that you're doing some keyword targeted advertising and those keywords are working really well well then why are you not putting that into your press releases why are you not putting that content onto your website so that it resonates with people if you create resonance with people and you've taken that learning you know it's going to convert Feed it into your ongoing marketing. Don't uh, lose that opportunity by just throwing something else at a wall and seeing what sticks. Use what you've got and iterate. And I think that's, that's key. And you know, that, put that into your subject lines, your emails and into your social and vice versa. Feed social learnings back the other way. It is all about mixing it all together and, and learning from every other part. It just, I think it's really interesting because a lot of the ideas of integration and multi-channel strategies are not necessarily new ideas, but I think as soon as you put the digital cloak on all of these subjects, it immediately disseminates the meaning into something that no one understands anymore. And it seems that everyone gets really in their feelings and feeling trapped. And then they're like, okay, I can only handle, I only have the bandwidth to really go into one channel. Whereas, I mean, what would happen before email? They would do fax blasts. Those fax blasts would be the same thing that the salespeople would be using for their sales script on the outgoing. They'd be the same chat that they'd be doing when they were doing the meet and greet with the howdy smile at the different networking meetings. They were the same thing they were saying on the radio interviews. And then it's suddenly, okay, let's plug in the, our computers. And it's like immediately we start dispersing with all of the different channels where it's getting one, I think one of the things that with an integrated strategy, and I'm sure you'll agree, both of you guys will, um, if you have one message, you can't just shove it into every single channel <laughs> because that shop example that you were saying, you have to make sure that where you're putting your shop is on the right street with the right demographics. You're surrounded by complementary different shops that will actually enhance your profile. And, 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 and. It's not like, oh yeah, there's a, there's a shop opening right there. I'm going to be selling, uh, I'm going to be selling these beautiful, expensive shoes. And there's a menorah salesman next to me. And there's a, a, a funeral home on the other side. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily <laughs> the best placement for you. One of the things I was curious with both of you guys, do you find that clients can be a little bit resistant to customizing the message to fit the channel so they can communicate with their target consumer where they are? I find often in early in the conversation there's resistance to this idea of integrated marketing because they don't understand what it means. Yeah. And so I think once you, you explain it to them and say, look, this is about your marketing activities working in tandem and, as you said, having 
ongoing conversations on multiple platforms the same way that they used to, you know, when they go to the sales conference or give out a pamphlet or when you explain it to them in that way, I think there's less resistance. And I also say to people, you know, what you say on different platforms is the same as when you're a person in different conversations. You can go home and be a father, a husband and a friend to the next door neighbour. You're just tailoring a little bit of what you're saying in those conversations, but you're not changing who you are. Your messaging can go out there and be slightly different. It doesn't mean you are different. And we just need to make sure that what you're saying is consistent. You see the lights go on and like, oh, okay, I, I get this a little bit more. Sometimes you need to drag the client there kicking and screaming, but once they're there, <laughs> then they're a little bit more engaged in the process because they can actually start seeing those returns. Once you say, hey, look, it is where we're at. You can see that you know this is starting to work. For sure. One of the questions that I get a lot on the PR side of things is about metrics. And I know that metrics in general are easier to <laughs> calibrate on the marketing and social media side of things. I'm curious how you go about coming up with digestible metrics that aren't so heady that clients are lost in what they mean, but seem exciting and like they can understand what value you're providing and you know, how do you go about coming up with, with metrics that are meaningful to them? It's a matter of understanding what a customer do in their business because uh, there's no use if you're a membership organization uh, or working with a membership organization necessarily looking at how many items they've sold. You're looking at customer retention. You're looking at different metrics. So you have to tailor them a little bit to the audience that you're serving. I think that there's a fine line between, as you said, overwhelming them with things that they don't know about, but also bringing them up to speed and educating them. You need to then start educating them through a process of, okay, well, this is what these metrics mean and taking the time in the early phases to say to them, these are the metrics that are important to you. This is why they're important and giving them an education so that they can actually understand the game a little bit better. Because once they start understanding why things work and why when you pull a lever, something's going to happen, they start getting a bit more engaged and they start coming to meetings with more of an open mind about why you need to change things or how things can be proactively adapted. In terms of what to look for, again, it really just depends on you know, how integrated that campaign is. Because different clients, it might be that you need to look at seasonality. So you're doing not just month-on-month comparisons to say, look, we've gone up 5% this month and the traffic we've brought in. Because if the seasonality and over summer, everything is meant to increase by 25%, you've only gone up 5%. Well, then you've got to ask some questions about what's happened. You might look at things like extraneous factors like COVID, for example, or supply chain issues, which I know are plaguing the country at the moment as well. So Looking at those factors and actually putting a lens on it that allows you to understand why things might be happening is, uh, I think, sometimes more important than just having a dashboard of figures. So interpreting things for people and taking the time to sit there and say, look, this is why this has happened or this is a theory is important. But after that, I think it's about what optimization activities have been going on, what uh, campaigns have been happening. Have you driven down the cost of acquisition? Have you increased the number of conversion metrics and whether they're number of people to page, number of downloads, number of purchases, repeat purchases. And then for each business, is it a new customer or is it an existing customer? And once you look at all of those things and you tie into what it means for that business, that's when you get a dashboard that's a little bit more fine-tuned to their needs. So in social, we're thinking about social, thinking about email. You're as good as your audience, right? So we can build metrics based off of pretty instant things that are KPI-driven that are measurable. After 30 days, everything completely changes. So after we've been working on the claim for 30 days, everything completely changes again. And then after the next 30 days, it changes again. Whereas with the PR and SEO, and there's a few other things too that are very, very long tail. And they do take a few months to really kind of like percolate and really gel. Social's kind of like you're shot out of the cannon trying to grab a bird to slow down. Like it's, it's, it's really, really aggressive. But the difference for us is that if I'm working on an integrated campaign, so if I'm working with PR and then I'm having email and social and then I have paid, there's lots of different buttons with lots of different KPIs that are going to materialize at different times. So what I try to do sometimes when I'm building those campaigns is to try to lead the focus and try to be not like a over here, look over here, don't look over there. Well, in a way I do, but like at the same time, it's trying to help them understand what's meaningful and then trying to layer in more meaning and more meaning and more meaning. Because if you focus on the social piece with like laser precision, 
the client feels like they're going crazy because there's so many different moving pieces. And like, for example, I could get a podcast interview, which is something that maybe a PR company would secure for um, their client, but I might just get it organically through social. So you give it to the client, they're just like, well, that's not what, I, what I'm paying you to do. And it's like, take the interview. It's a win. It's a win, baby. But no, it's what do you guys, when you're doing integrated campaigns, how do you kind of set expectations when things are going to hit? Because I know PR is so, we're so diametrically opposed in terms of how the results are. Because I can run a report and get metrics that I can do month on month that makes sense, that I can explain, that I can improve on. So a lot of it is figuring out what do they have the budget for to do when, and then mm. figuring out based on that, okay, do, can they afford to do brand awareness survey before we start? And if they can, then mm. we can actually have that as a metric at the quarter point or the half year mark or the annual mark, right? Depending on when they want to pay for that again. But it's also a matter of figuring out, okay, what are the, what are the priorities? Is it brand awareness? If it's brand awareness, then... SEO and PR, and I'll let Hamish chime in here too, but I feel like those are kind of two of the main drivers of that, Mm -hmm. assuming that you're already happy with your brand and logo and everything is where it needs to be, right? But then what you need is to say, okay, so let's make sure that the PR is feeding the SEO. Like Hamish said before, there's a search lighting term and there's this key phrase that everyone's searching for when they're looking for your brand. And when they look for it, you know, they're not finding you because you're not ranking high for this particular thing they're searching for. So why don't we make that the focus of a new pitch, a new byline article that we're drafting on behalf of the executive team. And then we're providing content that when it hits is high ranking because it's in editorial publications that rank high automatically. And then it feeds into that need on the SEO side, right? So there's just something about giving a holistic approach where then it also shows it's not only solving this issue, but it's addressing a pain point you had. If you start setting expectations by saying to people, this is the activities that we're going to undertake, and you show them that you are doing what you say, and then the results start coming in, especially in those early months for things you know will hit, you start getting the faith of your clients. And then they, for some of those longer things that you know will come in but might take some time, they have faith that it will come in so you can get their trust. And I think when you have their trust, you get a lot more positive results because you don't have someone standing over your shoulder saying, what happened? This is the second day of the second week and nothing's happened. It will, it will. It's just going to take some time. So get those early wins in the areas you know you can and show them and then start building in those other ones for later. It's so true because one of the things that I've noticed is that when I'm approached by a client, they will say, well, who else have you worked with in our industry? How's it gone? What can we expect in the first month? And I think to myself, okay, the whole entire Facebook platform just changed like 48 hours ago. So I can't make any assumptions and I can't make any predictions that are super intelligent. It's not because I'm not a skilled marketer. It's because the environment that I work in is a constantly evolving one. I can kind of guess and I can understand like, okay, you haven't done anything on your social media channel. So anything that we do is going to increase everything by a hundred percent, right? So I know the numbers are going to be crazy, but setting those expectations is, is challenging. Like we've done with our social campaigns is we used to have like a pretty strong off the shelf skeleton. We can't do any of that anymore. It's like custom from the ground up. And we have to literally build every single thing bespoke in order for it to land. And it's, uh, come on, compliance (laughs) or equality. I didn't know that that was going to be something that was going to be so hard to market. I didn't know that that was going to (laughs) be one of the most challenging things to get across. And then having the client understand that you're not the person that is killing their ideas. You have to work within the platforms that you have. That's what I was thinking about before when we were talking about the messages and, and if clients were kind of saying, no, I don't want to say that like this way, it has to be this way. Because I've been having a lot of conversations like that saying that, no, you can't say it that way if you want to be mm-hmm. here. If you want to say that, let's go over here. Mm-hmm. And um, slowly, I think, but surely they understand the differences between the platforms because you can say something on Facebook and get eaten alive for it. You go on LinkedIn, you can have a meaningful conversation. Mindset's so, important in those things. It is, because I think that if you're looking at organic social media, like, for example, if you get a good press hit with a great story, that can be something that you can organically play to your advantage on social. 
and also to email. And you can turn it into a white paper. You can turn it into a quiz. You can turn it into a customer survey. You can send it to all of your clients. You can sell it to any of your prospects. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do. And right, what I just said was integrated. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> hitting it and sharing it in the right place at the right time with right the right time. people. It's it. Just been totally overcomplicated. But just kind of like buttoning that one up. One of the things that we're seeing, obviously, is a lot of people leaving the workplace and it's really hard to recruit. I mean, even with I'm recruiting new employees, it's very challenging right now. I've seen entire marketing departments go dark and then they are looking for a solution. What advice would you give to people that are now kind of heading up a marketing department but needs to fill it with an agency to fill that function? We're actually doing that at the moment. <laughs> so it's, it's okay. one of these situations where the team has lost its marketing department and they're trying to backfill it and they're trying to uplevel it through the end of the year. But essentially what they need at the moment is sort of an entire outsourced marketing department. And now mm -hmm. the advantage to them of doing that is that we can scale with them. And also if they bring people in house that can take on certain tasks, then it's no big deal to say, Hey, let's not do this piece of it anymore. Cause you're great at it, but let's still fill in here where this person doesn't have expertise. Mm -hmm. And so that way, if you hire somebody and they're great at SEO and we've been doing SEO, okay, no problem. Let's instead refocus our efforts into the other parts of marketing right. where you don't have support. You know, it, it's good to have a flexible solution in place. And also that way, you know, if you get around to funding and you want to upscale, you can do it quickly. You have a team in place. They already know your business. Boom, up you go. Or if, you know, something goes haywire, you don't have an employee you have to pay unemployment to, and you have an outsourced marketing team that, God forbid, you have to fire. <laughs> There's some interesting things too about like benefits of outsourcing. You don't have to pay healthcare. You don't have to pay insurance. You don't have to train them. You don't have to oversee them. You don't have to fire them. You don't have to reprimand them. You don't have to give them equipment. They're just done. And guess what? When they leave, they're not going to go on Glassdoor and leave you the most negative review on earth. You don't have to worry about your reputation. It's kind of, there's so many pluses to it, but here's a mm -hmm. question for you guys. What do you feel like they need in order to outsource? Because I almost feel like there needs to be a person that is strong enough to be the direct liaison. Because I feel like sometimes when they think like, oh, well, we're just outsourcing it to you. You guys figure it out. I'm leaving it in your hands. You guys. <laughs> and, it's and they like, have no internal advocate that can lead the charge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you're just like, I mean, really just grabbing at straws as to kind of like, how can you get the pulse of what's going on? The advantage of having an outsource team as well is that you've got one point of contact. So it works both ways. So one point of contact on the client side. So once you develop some trust, they know that they can talk to you about whatever in an integrated agency that they need to and get their solutions. But what that means in, in reverse is that you need someone on the internal or the client side who's strategic enough to understand what the business imperative is and what they're trying to achieve and who has license to actually authorize things. It's a fine line between knowing that your client has faith in you and trusts you and the authority to, to actually sign off on things because if they don't have one of those two aspects uh, in their job description, then you're never going to have a working relationship that works too well. That, that's probably the things that I would say jump mm. to. Yeah, I'd have to agree because I think that in the past, when I've had experience with people that are my key person and they're outsourcing a lot of their marketing function, if not all of what they want to have in their marketing mix um, to us, if that person is a yes person, meaning that you send things over for approval and they just go, yep, that looks great. And you know mm -hmm. that the response was so quick that they didn't even open that document. Mm -hmm. You are going to be in trouble, agency peeps, because <laughs> someone is going to wake up at someday and see something that you've written that was approved that was off the mark, but you'd never knew because you were just yes. So it's nice to have someone that has a POV with the company and advocates for the company, not to kind of say, you know, I don't know marketing and that's why I'm going to you guys. I mean, of course we know this, but you know the company. So what what's the company's vibe? What do you guys believe in? What do you guys like to say? How would you actually respond to this? And if the answer is yes, um, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> I need someone that actually knows what's going on. I've actually, I've been told that before. I've been saying, well, what's your opinion on our editorial calendar? And the response on email was yes. <laughs>
Yeah. That's I like why that you're I, engaged. <laughs> <laughs> I have an analogy I use quite often. You, know, you might not know about the, the behind the scenes of marketing, but you know what you like and what you dislike. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, you know, everyone knows how to brush your teeth, but it doesn't make you a dentist. And you come to us to know, okay, these are the pain points. This is what, what my problems are. This is where it is. Can you fix it for me? Let's have that level of engagement where you're trying to explain things to us in a way which actually um, tells us what you need fixed so that we can do it for you. And once you, you know, get them thinking in different ways, because I think that's sometimes all it is. You're dealing with a CTO or a CFO who knows their area intricately, but they don't know much more about marketing and they don't give themselves license to think that way. But when you say, okay, you know what you like or what you dislike, and this is what you need to look at from your, custom, uh, from your internal point of view, building a bit of a rapport that you can leverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Well, Hamish, do you have any closing thoughts you want to share or anything you want to plug? The closing remark will be, don't be scared of integrated marketing. You don't want to be left out of a conversation. Those conversations are going to be happening. It's about putting your two cents in and targeting the right conversations at the right time. And taking the time to step back and research what are your goals, what are your objectives, and how can you tie core components together in a way which is actually going to bring you better results. And I think you know, if you're ready to have a chat and change the way you market, let's, let's talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like it. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, no thanks. Problem. Thank you, guys. Bye. Uh-huh. So what I was going to ask you, Chris, is yeah. I feel like of the marketing components, social media might be one that you can do as a one-legged stool more effectively than others. Is that just a misconception in my head? Or what are the downsides of doing it as an isolated activity versus something that's integrated with the other pieces of marketing? It's going to be a slower build. I think it's having the other pieces feeding on. Also, what's your conversion point? We have people who are like, oh no, we, we just want to become thought leaders. Okay, great. So I'm going to just reach out to journalists and post tweets and that's how I'm going to become a thought leader. Like that's not how it goes. The people that are thought leaders are on podcasts. They're in media, media, they're in the print media. They're, you know what I mean? I think if when people want to come to us and they want social, they want social media marketing, if they're saying that's our whole entire marketing strategy, I require them to do advertising. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I can do organic and I can build and we can grow and we can do it slow and we can have really beautiful channels built and great conversations and that kind of thing. But that only intrigues them for a little while. It's more that they think that, okay, what is that doing for our business? So the same thing, like, what does this placement in this magazine actually benefit to me um, in terms of how much I've invested? And at some point they say, you know what, it doesn't matter to me that much. And I think that that's when it drops off. I was just curious because it seemed like it's something that is done in isolation more than the other parts of marketing. I think it's just because it's more cost-effective and less complicated. Okay, I think it's a wrap. So our point counterpoint of the week is about whether Twitter can get users to be nicer. Tweet. (laughs) Is that like supposed to be a sweet song that I don't know about? I'm sweet. Don't drop the (laughs) F-bomb. When you're commenting on Shepard Smith's content, what I think about it is this. Okay, come on. It's been, this stuff has been around for a long time. So if you are going to write a comment or write a review that says, are you sure that you're ready to submit this? It's not knowing that what you're saying is negative. Now, the difference here is that it's picking up on certain words and it's saying, are you sure you want to post this? Um, And I think it's a little bit of a deterrent. But I don't think people that are dropping F-bombs in posts are going to be like, oh, I shouldn't do that. You know, I think they're just going to be like, post. (laughs) Right. No, I don't actually think it will deter. I mean, the thing that weirds me out is that, so this article in Bloomberg is about how you're getting to people to be nicer. But then basically how to be nicer is that people get alerts if they're about to retweet misinformation. I don't know if that makes people nicer or if that's just code for censorship. Of course. There's always an undercurrent of censorship. I I think it will. (laughs) Let's be fair here. People that are angry and are pretty basic with their Twitter use 
are very easily distracted. And I think that they might get distracted, not actually post. So it could actually work, you know, uh, it might stop them from doing something, but I don't think it's the end of the world, but it's interesting how they are wrapping it up as being nicer. Right. It's like, I don't think, you know, I don't think. Are you a good little girl who follows everything that the social media platforms and the government tell you? Good. You're nice. Like, that's that's so creepy. (laughs) Yeah, you know, Twitter is like a dumpster fire most of the time. And I think the, the article actually says that. And it's not wrong. Because if you get one negative thing on Twitter, it's like you are sliding down a greased slide right to hell. I mean, it is it is so challenging um, to kind of harness that power. That's why people on Twitter will delete their accounts more so than any other social media. I mean, that's the number one spot. That's where the haters come to hate. Right. Oh, that's kind of, it's a sport of Twitter, right? Is to, it is. So that's and what's I, also funny about it is that it's so off brand for what people use Twitter for. Mm-hmm. Cause it is sort of like, you know, the mean kids school ground where everybody beats each other up and you know, all the bullies are welcome. Like, it's like that's no, like, totally. It's, it's, you know, I think we're already seeing culture adapt to this kind of censorship stuff though, because that's why everyone is saying, let's go, Brandon. You've heard about this, right? Oh, I don't know if I have. What oh is my God. Okay. So there was a NASCAR driver. He mm-hmm. was being interviewed after a NASCAR race. His name's Brandon. Mm-hmm. The news reporter is interviewing him with a very, very loud crowd behind her screaming, Joe Biden. Right. So he's trying to listen to her. She's trying to listen to him. And at one point she says to him, wow, you know, that crowd is really loud. They're all screaming for you. Let's go, Brandon. Oh my God. And it was so obviously not let's go, Brandon, that now anyone who wants to say Joe Biden flight company says, let's go, Brandon. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, there there are memes like all over the place. So funny. At first I was like, what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. was like, oh, over the weekend, John, my husband, discovered that little Nas X was number yeah. one on the iTunes download charts. Mm-hmm. He got replaced by a Let's Go Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Poor little Nas X. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite funny. Anyway. I shouldn't, I shouldn't quite laugh at our president's expense, but it is what's funny about it is more that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I think it's evidence that you just can't really censor people in the end, right? There's always going to be code for something. Exactly. I mean, come on. Teenagers have been doing this for years (laughs) and decades. Right. Yeah. They come up with their own code. They take words that are cool and fine and like safe and turn them into something filthy. Right. And then that's like the new thing. And then you're, <laughs> then they just try to trick you into saying it and you feel like you're six, 17 million years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, so funny. Well, it's a total vibe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Should we move on to cash or trash? Oh, let's do the cash or trash segment. What are we talking about this time? So sleepy time tea posted an Instagram story. Mm-hmm. That was a very weird image of a bear with its belly hanging out, like almost like it's wearing a crop top mm-hmm. and its feet crossed mm-hmm. and then sort of looking at its camera like it's sexting someone, but then also holding sleepy time tea. Is that, does that capture it? That pretty much captures it. Yeah. Is the copy on this, the actual copy that was on the story? I feel like it is because I feel like this is a screenshot. It looks like a screenshot. So is this a thirst trap? So it's like, what's a thirst trap? Thirst trap is a picture that is like suggestive, like sexually suggestive, like of a shirtless guy or a girl with a small bikini. And they take the picture because they, because it's, it's a thirst trap because they know that they'll get tons of likes and shares and comments if they post it. So wait, you actually think, is this a thirst trap? Is the sleepy time tea? Yeah. They're trying to be like Wendy's. Yeah. I think if they did this, 
I really, really cash this. Like I cash this all day long. I cash this all day long. And why? Because it's a freaking Instagram story. If you're thinking about Instagram as a platform, you have like Instagram TV, you have IGTV, you have reels, you have stories, you have the posts. These stories are like just disposable. Okay, just... so did they post that and pay the TikTok influencer to do that video making fun of it? No, because that they pulled it down. These are up but for 24 that hours. Add to it? I don't know, but I don't know. I, I think I'd need to know a little bit more about it because I think that Instagram stories are up for 24 hours. So they can pull it down, but I mean, it is just hilarious. And the best part about it, it's vitamin C shine tea. <laughs> it just doesn't scream sexy bear to me. Um, no. Like I was thinking like Bengal ginger or something like that, or I don't know. Unless it's like sexy time. And that's like a play on that. I like it. I think it's absolutely hilarious. And I think what really seals the deal for me is that his, or whatever sex this is, whatever they're wearing, this, this, the sleep A, there's an accent over the E at the end. Oh my God. I didn't notice that till now. Are those like tie dye bottoms also? It's very on trend. Well, I think in 2020 they were. So this is a little outdated. Wow. I'm looking right into his eyes. I mean, it's 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 actually uh mesmerizing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I'll give it a cash also. You can Okay, yay! <laughs> I I'm on I'm on the cash train. All right. All right. So, uh we're talking about business trends. One thing that is kind of just I want to throw out there just going with integration piece, right? One of the trends that I have been seeing is after the Facebook shutdown, I think a lot of people got really scared about putting all of their eggs in one basket. And I have seen people explore alternatives to Facebook. One of our clients in particular came to us requesting advice as to where they could kind of diversify their ad spend. And that's not something that we've talked to them about before. So I've also had new prospective clients and also peers talking about what other platforms are very useful aside from Facebook. Is TikTok something that's going to be around longer than Instagram? So I think people are starting to look outside of the box a little bit. Do I think that they're going to do that very long? No. I think it's going to immediately go back to the old way of thinking very quickly. But something I've seen recently is that. Well, I've seen a lot of PR clients are getting more and more excited about podcast interviews. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. so that's changing as well on our end. I think it makes sense because it's a long form interview. You're not limited to a sound bite. Right. Typically you can really hone in on that audience. So maybe you're only mm -hmm. talking to 500 people, but if they are highly qualified 500 people, yeah, still better than 5 million, right? Because you're actually getting in front of the people who are going to make a difference to your business. So that's why I asked you earlier about mm -hmm. are people also wanting to advertise start sponsoring podcasts that they think are on brand for them. I think that people are okay with it, but it's the same thing as influencers. They have to have proof that it's worthwhile. And sometimes with podcasts, I don't know, it's not always there yeah, yeah. Um, with the numbers and the proof because they'll give you, this is how many downloads we have and this is how many listens we have. And that doesn't always ring true. I usually like to listen to the advertisements that's on the podcast to see what they are. And if it's like 1-800-Flowers, then okay, this is more of a mainstream. But if it's kind of like Aunt Granny Gum's custom daffodils, I mean, then, you know, obviously that's going to be something that's a little bit more of a lower brow. But this is kind of something too, thinking about influencers, another business trend that I've been seeing is the refocusing of the influencer outreach trend from going to these really flashy people with loads of following to nano influencers that are small and engaged, like you were just saying. So instead of if they had 150 people in their audience and they're very active and have lots of high level of engagement, guess what? Those are probably all their family, all their friends and their tribe. And if you send them free product and get them to post and tag, what's the cost to you? We've done this successfully for many of our clients. It's almost like having a street team or a guerrilla marketing approach mm. with influencers because 
spending ten to fifteen thousand dollars for one freaking story or five stories in one grid post is BS. Those people are going to burn out and go away really quickly because they're already translating into being contestants on like reality TV competitions. So funny. I'm imagining what you said about the guerrilla marketing. I'm, I'm picturing like the guys with the foam hands, <laughs> you know, or like the sign, like the, the sign twirlers. And yeah, yeah. I thought you were thinking about a whole bunch of gorillas that were <laughs> going to be dispatching. No, no, us. no. And then I was, I was remembering New York, like comedy show tonight. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, so I think what you're really saying, Chris, is that for anyone who wants to advertise on our show that reaches 500,000 people, this is a great opportunity for them to reach people in marketing. Yeah, I think so. But I think they have to be ready to spend because we're not cheap. Airtime on our show is very valuable. So <laughs> make sure that your pockets are deep. And honestly, don't come with an attitude. <laughs> not interested in your bullshit. Um, but <laughs> all right, folks. So thanks for joining us for another white knuckle ride um episode of hype busters <laughs> thank you so much to hamish for a great interview if you have any questions about the news companies and conversations from the show this week re-listen to the show and figure it out i mean do i have to do all the work for you i mean you'll find the contact details in the show notes below you'll be fine <laughs> Uh, unlike Chris, uh, our DMs are always open for the news companies and suggestions that you want to hear about. And if you are looking for a chance to put your brand in the hot seat, we want to hear from you. Yep, folks. Um, don't slide in my DMs. So see you next time for more real talk on strategic communications with me, Chris, and her over there. April. April. Yay! <laughs> No, the other thing that's happening today is we have a windstorm. I actually got like an alert from the county about a wind advisory. And like my ladder fell over, like everything is blown. All the lawn chair is like, are like blown over. God, you have, a you have half a witch line underneath the corner of your house. <laughs> I think so. It's crazy. Can you go see if there's a cow flying by your window? <laughs>